Ladies, here is Lenore Zan, a.k.a. Rogue. It's Cal Dodd here, voice of Wolverine from X-Men, the animated series, Bub. I want you to join me at The Uncanny Experience, the ultimate destination for X-Men fans just like you. Where you will become a mutant student at Xavier's. And be able to explore the school campus, shop the vendor hall, and meet the creators and stars of the X-Men universe. There'll be panels, parties, immersive activities all throughout the historic mansion. Whether you're a fan of the comics or the movies or the animated series, you'll find something to love. This is Chris Claremont. I'm looking forward to seeing you all at the Uncanny Experience. It's going to be one hell of a ride, Bob. I bet it will be uncanny. Get your tickets now, sugar, at the uncannyexperience.com. You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. In this episode, we are shuffled into the image booth at San Diego Comic-Con so we can talk Toddcast ideas and life philosophies in our creator corner with Todd McFarlane, who has so much stuff going on. We are now two and a half weeks out from San Diego Comic-Con, and we have now put away our luggage. (laughs) Our life has returned to some kind of semblance of order. The living room is still a pit and the comics that we bought at San Diego are still scattered or in mid long box sort, Uh but I'm feeling better than when we were recording the last intro and outro to one of our Comic-Con conversations. Yes, there is a certain amount of chaos we just take as standard. That's that's a fact. That is exactly how we roll. All of our things are out. Shout out to Didi from Kamikaze. That's right. We've gone back to work. We've started doing our regular geek activities, going to the movies. We saw the Meg 2, The Trench. We've even stopped sleeping till 10. <laughs> we Yes, we're back <laughs> on East Coast time, which is no small feat. And uh, we went to Washington, D.C. to go to the theater, Lisa. That's right. To studio theater, to be exact. One of my best friends and favorite people in the whole wide world, Amy Kellett, she does local theater stuffs. And she did the, she was a prop designer for their production of Fun Home, which is like Gullickson's. You have to totally come and see it because it is a comic book musical. That And it, and I was excited to do so, although there are some trepidations when going to see Fun Home. Uh, Fun Home, it's a lot. It okay? is a lot. Like the book, we read it as part of our book club like five years ago, six years ago. Mm-hmm. And I found the experience of doing so, of one, reading the book and being just bowled over by the emotions within it. But then the emotions that came out of that conversation, it's heavy. It's heavy. And I have not seen or listened to the musical at all. I was curious about it being a musical. I know that at that book club, Lisa Lisa just gave me an eye. (laughs) I'm just saying that if Amy listens to this to hear what she said, she did play for the book club some of the numbers from Fun Home. Right, right. So at that book club, I did catch pieces from the musical but it but did it's not hard in- to listen with someone staring at you absolutely to gauge it, your reaction it did not encourage me to continue listening to listening to the musical because again the book just was like so devastating to me and also brad's old rebel tendency right you're not wrong however allison beckdale's comic is unrelenting right mm-hmm. it's an incredible read but it is unrelenting and the idea of going to the theater And in musical form, experiencing that unrelentingness again, I was a little worried. I was a little worried. And, 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 you know, the musical, you hear musical and you go like, oh, are they going to make it like lighter somehow? Is it going to be a little bit more frivolous? Uh, And again, Lisa's giving me an eye. (laughs) I love musicals. And I should have known better. But the comic in musical form is still unrelenting. 
Because musicals are all about making the emotions more raw and more articulated and, you know, more defined by the, you know, orchestration. And the very nature of watching something performed by actors that injects another layer of humanity that is just simply not there in a comic form. Like, Mm -hmm. that's what separates a play or a movie from a comic book, right? It's living through these actors, these puppets. And as it was going, I was engulfed in this version of Fun Home, and I found it so powerful. It made me love the comic again, but also by the end of it, I was a puddle, and there was this standing ovation. And Studio Theater, it's a small space, mm-hmm. so you really get, like, like there, there's no bad seat. You're it's practically, like a black box theater. Right, right, right. And we weren't front row, but we might as well have been. And when there was a standing ovation, I could not stand. I... I was, like I said, a puddle. Yeah, you were paralyzed with emotion, which is beautiful and scary. Yes. This is the only production of Fun Home I've ever seen, but from my understanding, the staging that was done by director David Muse was different than the original Broadway staging, where there are three Allisons in this story. There is present-day Allison Bechtel, there is college-age Allison, and then there's, like, child Allison. All three performed exceptionally well. All three killed it. Apparently, in the original staging, present-day Allison is kind of outside mm. of, of the staging of, like, the family life happening. Yeah, not so here, and what a great choice. Uh, yeah, so with this, we actually start in Allison's studio as she's kind of going through old memorabilia, pulling out things to look at. And then most of the family scenes take place in the studio. The studio essentially becomes her home for her ideas and her memories. One of the things that I think was causing a bit of a hang-up for me in contemplating any kind of adaptation, whether as a musical or as a film, was when you do that, do you lose the aspect of the graphic novel, the comic being created? Mm -hmm. And in doing that, uh, in staging it this way, they center the comic book It is about a cartoonist putting their life into sequential form. And trying to accomplish the drawings without getting so lost in the memories that she, like Brad, is paralyzed. And being hurt by those memories, right? Uh, The uh, modern day Allison is constantly saying like, you know, I'm just remembering. Where is the pain in remembering? And of mm. course, there's a ton that's of where pain all of in the remembering. Pain is. Yeah, that's where all the pain is. Yeah, yeah. There is one moment where the set does like open up, and we're in another room, and then that is a, a setup to like the big thing. I'm not going to say what the big thing is because I don't want to ruin Fun Home, the book or the musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to ruin the big thing. <laughs> do you want to ruin the big <laughs> no, thing? No, 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 I don't. You can, no, no, don't no, I ruin ru- the big thing, but you can ruin like the well, the like climax. you're saying, like. There's a moment where the staging shifts and we move to a different place. And when we left the cartoonist studio, I was a little disappointed Mm -hmm. until they revealed why they did what they did to give you the payoff, the punch of the end. And actually, there's like two punches. There's like two final shifts. Don't do the second to last punch. You can say the last punch. The last punch is they then incorporate Alison Beckdale's art into the stage production, this massive panel from the book shows up at the perfect time. And I won't say what the panel is, but when that panel is there and when they incorporate the art from the comic into the stage production, I was destroyed. Yeah, no, <laughs> and I could cracking. not stop crying. And it was it was somewhat embarrassing to be there with you. Not with you. Like, I've cried. <laughs> I've <laughs> bawled in front, in front of you. Sometimes it's my fault. But I've never cried like that in front of your friends. And your friend, like, Amy had friends, right? Yeah. Donna was there. Donna's also a friend. But then there were friends of Amy and Donna. And there's, like, Brad <laughs> just weeping. Yeah. And everybody else was kind of crying. But, like, 
I, I like I lost it. Yeah, yeah. It was like Amy's sixth time seeing it. Sure. And Donna, it was not her first time seeing it either. And I don't go to plays too often. And when I do go to plays, I'm it's usually, really vulnerable. Well, we're like usually in thing. the nosebleeds, right? Yeah. It's rare that I've been this close where I I feel like I'm sitting on the stage with the actors. Yeah, I definitely feel like oh my goodness, especially whenever children perform. It's I'm like transcendent. Oh, these, these kids are counting on me. I've got to be the best possible audience, and they were. Amazing. Uh, like, professional. I feel like you're living this story when you're that close. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. I love it when my different dorkdoms kind of like mm. overlap. Yeah. Like when Kim Joy from Great British Bake Off does a comic, I'm like, hell yes. When a musical tries to depict a comic book or adapts a comic book and has such reverence for the original medium. Yeah. It's so moving to me. But also it got me thinking about compartmentalization and sequentialization in a musical format. Because musicals are made up in a way that is different than something that is through composed, like an opera, blah, blah, blah. I was a music major, I'm really special and really smart. <laughs> but like, like uh, musicals have numbers. And that number, the, the way that the numbers are ordered kind of sequentializes the emotional state. Ooh, that's a great point, yeah. The the characters. And so like, I love the idea of, okay, as we're watching Allison compartmentalize the times of her life so that she can tell her life in a comic book, but also the musical is compartmentalizing her emotional state in these different numbers. Like I'm always talking about how comic books are books. Comic books are books. It just reminds you, like, all art is art. And it's yes. all overlapping, and it's all taking part of, like, this whole human conversation, and it's using a lot of the same tools. When you go to an adaptation, you want the adaptation to embrace its own medium, yes. right? So you, you, you want the movie to be the movie and the comic to be the comic. What was rad about this production of Fun Home, especially the way that you're framing it now regarding sequentialing is that it still managed to use some of the tools or replicate some of the tools of the other medium for its medium. Mm -hmm. And that is super rare. Yeah. I mean, we really had, as you can tell, a transcendent experience watching Fun Home. It's actually made us go like, we should go to the theater more often. I yes. don't know why we don't do it. Yes. Yeah. Well, the reason we don't do it is because we usually go to someplace like the Kennedy Center. And mm -hmm. when you go to the Kennedy Center, you cannot afford to be <laughs> in the orchestra pit. But maybe we search for theaters like the Studio Theater like and theaters, see what they're putting on. Like theaters that Amy works at? Yes. Like she works at a theater that is literally like <laughs> 10 minutes away from our and, home. And we've gone to other productions that Amy has put on and had a good time, but maybe we weren't, or maybe Brad wasn't, as open to them in the past. I am now open. Oh my goodness. Fun Home has opened Brad, and maybe Fun Home, that sounds weird. Brad's open, we're open. Um, and, and this uh, show is open until the end of August. Yeah, so, so if you are in the D.C. area, it is the Studio Theater Fun Home. It's directed by David Muse. I feel like we should shout out some more people. Yeah, shout out the actors for sure. Sure, but that means I'm reading names that I'm going to mispronounce. Present day Allison is Andrea Prestontario. Medium Allison is Maya Jacobson, and she was also amazing. The sex with Joan number so good. kills me. So good. Small Allison is Quinn Titcomb, and Bruce Bechtel was played by... Bobby Smith, Helen Bechtel, the mother was played by Rebecca Pitcher, and all of them were wonderful. All of the brothers were wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it was a flawless cast. And like, I, but I, I do think that the highlight of the show for me was, well, one, living the production, being so close to the theater, but then that staging and centering the comic work. Yeah, yeah. Though I am curious now to see the original staging and yeah. do a compare and contrast. Right, right. I, if if we were to see it come to the Kennedy Center, <laughs> I, I would, I would, I would, uh, I'd, I'd consider spending a few extra coins to get closer to the Kennedy Center stage. Yeah. The last thing I want to say about my experience regarding Fun Home before we move on to Todd McFarlane on Comic Book Couples Counseling <laughs> is that the way I am in encountering musical theater today 
reminds me of the way you, well, reminds me of the way or how you refer to your experience discovering comic books, where you had to acclimate yourself to the reading mm. of comic books. Like it wasn't inherent to you because you didn't grow up reading comic books. So you had to relearn or you had to actually learn to read comic books. And I think I need to learn how to watch theater. I need to know where to sit in a theater. I need to know how to absorb theater. Yeah, I think part of it is like we wait for Fun Home where we could have been watching theater this entire time. Yeah, the only reason we went is because I was like, oh, I like that story. I want to see how it's adapted. Exactly. Where I think that I, I think we could just jump in with two feet and just go like, whatever is playing this weekend, we'll make it a theater weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, so. But here's like another thing about like me getting into comics was also I was kind of a scared bunny. You know, and so like I went into the comic book store by myself and when they weren't super receptive about helping me find what I might be into, I was like, or, or refused to open a box for me. Right. I was like, okay, well, I guess I won't do this again for, for five years. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I would necessarily that uh, say that I'm a scared bunny regarding theater, but I do think that maybe I'm snobby about the things that I already love. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, you know, can theater really give me to anything really, that movies can't? And really, the answer is yes, duh, <laughs> Tommy. Again, I think really to get into a medium you have to take some risks. Mm. I know like, oh, I guess what? I'm not gonna love everything that I see, but how do I find what I love until I see everything? Well, you have to find your curiosity and embrace your curiosity. Yes. And now that I have a curiosity for musical theater uh, or, or theater in general, I got to embrace that. So we should see a straight play. We should see a musical. We should see a, a pantomime. I mean, again, I keep bringing up the Kennedy Center and my bad experiences at the Kennedy Center, but right now or coming up, the Aaron Sorkin interpretation of To Kill a Mockingbird is going to be playing at the Kennedy Center, and that does really appeal to me, but it doesn't appeal to me from the nosebleeds. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let, let, let's see if we can find some good seats. Yeah. Now let's get back to San Diego Comic-Con. You've been hearing about it all week from us. We're not done. There are more episodes after this one still talking about our experiences at Comic-Con. Hopefully you've listened to our conversation with Eric Burnham talking about Saturday Morning Adventures, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, as well as our conversations with Jamie Lee Curtis, Russell Goldman, and Carl Stevens talking about Mother Nature. Mother Nature, by the way, just came out this week in hardcover from Titan Books. Pick it up and listen to our interview. And now let's talk about Todd McFarlane. Now that we are regular theater goers, we are theater files. Is that the word? I don't even know. I don't know. Um, I think we need to borrow a phrase. Okay. We need to set the stage oh, for yeah. this conversation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it occurred on Saturday of Comic-Con at 11 a.m. or around 11 a.m. because there were some delays. <laughs> and we had spent all morning preparing for this conversation with Todd McFarlane. Now, you may recall, loyal listener, Todd McFarlane has been on the show before. He was here with Greg Capullo talking about Spawn Batman, and we had a rad chat about that. And it, I mean, it was it was, it it was, was really such, on topic. Yeah, it was on topic, and it was a, a big moment for Lisa and I. I, I would say it was an extremely big moment for a child of the 90s like myself mm -hmm. who stayed hours in line at the Philadelphia Comic Fest so he could have his amazing Spider-Man 300 signed by Todd McFarlane. And to get him on the show talking about Spawn and Batman with Greg Capullo, oh my God, it was awesome. Now... But that was in a Zoom room. That was in a Zoom room. And also, like, you know, Todd McFarlane that day, as he was doing at San Diego Comic-Con on Saturday, he was being interviewed by lots of people, right? And he, he didn't necessarily remember us. Which does not hurt our feelings in the least. <laughs> no, not at all. Totally understandable. And it actually led to a brilliant moment at the very beginning of this conversation that you'll just have to wait and here for, but it is a pull quote that we are going to be putting in all our press packets. And this conversation wasn't like our conversation with Jamie Lee Curtis, where we're in a like a press room. This conversation marks another Comic Con first for yes. Brad and Lisa. We got to go inside the image booth, and guess what? It was cozy in there. It was very cozy. It was surreal because we've all seen the Image Comics booth from the outside as you're navigating the exhibit hall. There's thousands of people browsing 
all kinds of booths. And then like at the center of the hall is the image booth. And then there's this tiny little door and someone opens that little door and then you scooch on in and there's Todd McFarlane. <laughs> yeah, like, I-, I don't know. Cause I've seen people go in and out those doors and, and I didn't know that one day that would be me. And um, they're keeping stuff in there. There's a lot of storage. Uh, somebody had a spread of Vegemite. You yeah, know, somebody yeah. in the image booth needed their Vegemite. <laughs> uh, Which writer is that? They have, you know, like a little mini fridge in there and snacks and they've got back issues. And Todd McFarlane's in the center of this T-shaped booth. And he's at this little long table and he has stacks upon stacks of single issues that he is signing all throughout our conversation. That his amazing Todd McFarlane script. Like he doesn't do like a little squiggle wiggle. Yeah, his signature is significant. It is labor intensive. Yes, yes. And you will hear him doing all those signatures throughout this conversation as you will hear the white noise of Saturday San Diego Comic-Con exhibit hall. But it is significantly different than the noise that's on the floor. Like, Mm -hmm. so with Eric's conversation talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that is us on the floor and it's super loud and chaotic. There is a really, to me, soothing, muffled stillness in there. So, like, the closest thing I could describe, like, the closest thing that it reminds me of is when you jump into a pool at like your community center <laughs> oh, I like that. and you're at the bottom of the pool and you can hear the world outside going on but it's it's muffled like you said that's what it feels like we're we're at the 6 foot deep pool section of Kabakad talking to Todd McFarland. Despite what we've already talked about, about the stillness and the womb-like comfort of the Image Comic Booth, like, going in there, I was stressed. Sure. Like, we had been given an email with several talking points. <laughs> I mean, there was, like, 20 talking points in and that email. And he'd already announced a lot of rad stuff I at mean, the convention. I mean, he announced, like, five new Spawn titles. There's that Batman uh, collectible box set of action figures that features all six cinematic Batman. Uh, what else? He, uh, him and David Dasmalchin are doing a Knights versus Samurai comic. So, like, we we were we had prepared big time. We had mm-hmm. spent all morning preparing notes on all of these various subjects, and we are ready to break it all down with Todd. But you all know that that's not my favorite type of conversation. Like the 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 grocery list, to-do list conversation about, what about this? Are you excited about that? Yeah, I'm excited about that. Are you excited about that? Like, that's not my bag. And so, like, I was like, I don't even know if we need me in this conversation. (laughs) Lisa literally (laughs) said that to me, like, six times before we had the conversation. This sounds like a great conversation for just Brad. Yeah, like, don't you just want to talk to Todd by yourself? And I was like, no, Lisa, (laughs) this is comic book couples counseling. You're coming with me. And I'm so glad that I did because... Todd surprised us both immensely. Yeah, uh, he doesn't really talk about any of the talking points. Uh, I don't want to spoil the surprise of how the conversation starts, but it starts with us, with Comic Book Couples Counseling. Being announced. He just leans into the idea of our podcast, and what you're about to hear is basically a sermon from Todd McFarlane. He's a, you know, put a coin in him and go kind of guy. He got a prompt. It was the name of our podcast. I think we asked maybe five questions in total. And he killed it. And he, he, yeah, he killed it. He totally slept. But like he, a knight or a samurai. It, I mean, it's about what Todd believes yes. and how what Todd believes dictates the types of comics that he's interested in creating. And but, but I think even more importantly, the kind of conversations about comics he's interested in having. Absolutely. He's absolutely. a guy who feels like I have had every comic book conversation there is to have. Yes. And I'm ready for something different. I'm ready for a new perspective. Don't worry. Spawn comes up. An early iconic issue of Spawn does come up. Stan Lee gets talked about a little bit in here. And like it is a comic book conversation, but it is a comic book couples counseling conversation. And I really don't think we've heard an interview from Todd McFarlane like this one. I like, you know, this could be ego talking, but I, I, I think it's true. I think completely accidentally, we stumbled over something that was already percolating in the back of his mind. And mm-hmm. he was just like 
ready to share. And we weren't prepared for it, but we loved it so much. And we're thankful that he was willing to be vulnerable in this way or Mm -hmm. open in this way. And, you know, my only regret is that we only had so much time to talk to Todd McFarland. I really would have liked to have challenged him on a few things or extended some of these other thoughts that he had. Uh, But we can talk about that in the outro after the conversation. And I'm just going to shut up here, uh, tell you to prepare yourself for some impassioned thumps on the table from Todd. (laughs) Bit of a thumperoo. And dive back into the deep end that is the Image Comics booth at San Diego Comic-Con on Saturday. All right, this is comic book couple... Couple book couple? Yeah, that, that's cool. Counseling. That's us. Comic book couples counseling. It's amazing. How great is that? Comic book couples great. Comic book couple counseling is even better. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Thanks We've so been uh, married 14 years. 14? What? As of last month. Wow, congratulations. And we've been uh, doing this podcast for five years. Wow. I'm going to have to tell my wife. We're gonna do, I, I, actually, I keep bugging my wife today. We would be good as a podcast, yeah, like yeah. my wife and I, oh, yeah. because she's like the complete opposite of me. But she's, she's like, she doesn't know that she's a badass. <laughs> Even she's like, she thinks she's timid, but she works on the school board and stuff, and is very proactive politically, and goes to a lot of rallies and protests and stuff, right? But she's like, no, 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 no. But I'm just going, Wanda, come on, man. Between me and my psychoness and whatever, and what you like, the com- that would, that's a lot. We're not the same. Like, it'd be a nice combo, sure. right? But she'd probably kill me on air. Well, Todd, do you need a podcast? Do you need another project? Yeah, well, I, I'm, 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 we're talking about doing a podcast that I, I want to do, but not about comic books. Oh, yeah? Oh, really? I, I, I just want to, I'm, 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 I'm just struck by humanity. And adults as a whole. And I just, so the title I have is, your words, not mine. Uh, that, that I just, so what did you just say? Okay, so, so explain that to me, because I want to I get that. Okay, uh-huh. so again, it's an adult. Again, so no eight-year-olds in adult bodies here today. So, so tell me how that works, right? So I get it. There are, there are spaceships that are somehow causing the fires in California. So... Tell me how all that works, right? Tell me how all this rhetoric we have in this country, tell me how that works. I'm not here to tell you your thought is crazy. I actually want to hear how it works. Yeah. You can say it. I get the bumper sticker. Tell me more. I'm curious as to how that happens. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Is connecting with humanity and getting in other people's heads like a way that you ha- have to like refill your creative well? Because being a creative individual who's making stories all the time, I'm sure you spend a lot of time in your own in your own. Brain. No, I, I, what I what I what I what 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 would be more for me more reassuring is for us as a species to say that we're flawed and imperfect. Yes. And I go ding 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 right. Like, that's it. That's like, you, you're talking and you're acting like we're going to be around a million years from now. How do you know that we're just a blip right now? That somehow it's like, no, this, this experiment with letting these thinking, sentient beings who are completely flawed, that don't get along and like to kill each other, maybe that, maybe, maybe we should try something else, right? So we just get so full of ourselves instead of sort of saying we are flawed, each and every one of us, and we all have biases, we have everything. So why don't we just accept that in others, right? In others. And, and, and the blinders that we have are really shocking. And now we're getting to the point where the hypocrisy that we have from minute to minute yeah. that people aren't even aware of, right? Like, so I'm, I'm, I'm anti-religious. So, um, okay, cool. So it's always weird people go, well, why don't you believe in God? This is the opening line. It's always a weird one. Why don't you believe in God? I think it's a flawed question. The question is, why do you? Empirical evidence, and so let's define empirical evidence. Empirical evidence is if you give the information to any human being on the planet, every human being will come up with the exact same answer. Two plus two is four for every human being. If your feet are on the ground and you're standing flat and you point up over your head, that's up. Right? The thing in the middle of our head, as long as we're not deformed, is our nose, right? They're just empirical evidence. 
since the dawn of man, there's no empirical evidence of anybody's religious God existing, period. The reason I don't is because of math, and math says zero. The, the, I think you're asking the wrong question. Why, when the math is zero, are you so head over heels over the zero, right? So, I don't know, it's a weird question to ask me. Oh, by the way, why don't I believe in God? Why don't you believe in Muslims, right? Like, there are 2,900 other religions on the planet that you disavow, and they think you're going to hell. How much sleep do you and your family lose over that? I'm betting it's zero. I bet you sleep like a baby. All right, so that thing that you do every day of your life, I just do it to those and yours. I do the exact same thing. You and I are exactly the same. Why are you asking questions on how I do it? I do it like you. Whatever your answer is, my, mine is ditto. Yeah. Ditto. So, yeah. it's, and, but they're not even aware that they're doing, that we're the same. <laughs> like we're doing the same acts. We take information in, we process it, and whatever works for us, that becomes our perception. Our perception becomes our reality. Cool. That's the world we build. We have biases. I get it. It's not a coincidence that there's a lot of Green Bay Packer fans in Wisconsin. That wasn't a fluke, right? Like, but somehow they think that it's it's bigger than that, right? But it's like, well, I understand. Eventually, they move some of them and they bring their Packer fandom with them, right? Right. And I'm but, sure they're persecuted wherever they go. Especially if they're in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? But I've had this conversation with people, and I go, so you're saying, I understand you're from Texas and you're a good Christian, but you but I'm, you understand if you were born in India, you'd be Muslim right now. Huh. If you had, and they're like, I would not. What, the whole second? What did you, no, no, no. Environment matters. Environment matters. That's why there's a lot of Packer fans in Wisconsin and a lot of Bears fans in Chicago. Right. Environment matters. So, no, I would never. They can't even perceive of this reality. Yeah. So I'm going, okay, so just tell me. This is where I'm, I'm curious. Tell me how this works. So Your I, sister, mother, brother, uncle, everybody, the whole neighborhood, everybody is Muslim. And you're going to be, what, six? When are you going to announce that you're a Christian? Like, at what point? Yeah. Oh, and by the way, let's flip it the other way. You're in Texas. You're born in Texas. And everybody goes to church and they go for the good gospel. It, what you think a six-year-old is going to wake up in the middle of that congregation and go I'm, I'm a muslim like the chances of that happening is the chances come on at least at least as an adult give me that there are certain things that change our biases of where we were born the life experiences who our parents were where we went to i mean all of it sort of is eventually who we are right yeah so you think that it was predetermined like come on man you touched on something that i think very much it, this idea of uh, we don't embrace failure and we don't um, recognize that we are flawed. And being. that is a huge theme in comic books because we say like, okay, even though this individual can travel to, through time and is a badass fighter, they're still making mistakes and they're still, you know, sometimes on the side of good, sometimes on the side of not yeah. so good. It's just like, even with every advantage, we're all doing the best that we can. Why, why do we think that if we take a human and we're all flawed and we endow them with superpowers, that all of a sudden they now know how to make right decisions? Right. I've always said, like, if you got an asshole and they win the lottery, you know, you have a rich asshole. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change who they are. So, so if somebody is not a kind person, and they get endowed with powers, they're still going to be unkind. I would argue it might even allow them to be more unkind because they don't have to put it, because they got powers, or the other way, if you're kind, it might make you even more kinder because you can go the other way a little bit. But we all get emotional. We all basically have biases. We all do that. So why are none of those sort of shown to us on a grander scale, right? It has been... 60, 70 years. What's Clark Kent's favorite music? Why don't I know? I'm not saying I need a whole issue about it. I'm but not like saying, I'm just, I don't need it. Like, but why in 70 years do I not know that about a guy who's acting like a human? Like, and here's what humans do. They go to theaters, they listen to music, they play video games, they read books, they do what... I mean, it, we just consume pop culture it's or the world, right? I don't even know. Like, so 
how do I not know any of that? So, so because we're so busy writing the, the punch people in the face with our spandex that we don't sort of acknowledge that these are also humans prior to being endowed with their powers, right? And so the, I, I don't go to superhero movies, just so you go, I, I can't. One, I've read all the comic books. So I know exactly how they end. But it's, I put superhero movies, a lot of them, into the same thing that I put action movies into, which are chaos with no consequence. I'm all about the consequence. I, 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 don't, I, I understand and appreciate, okay, some cool, cool gunfight and there's a thousand bullets. My question is, where did those bullets land? Especially when you're shooting the bullets in Times yeah, Square. Yeah, of course. In Times Square. I'm just going, aren't there people in Times Square? What if a 21-year-old lady who's got two kids and then she's a single mom was walking? Did she get hit? And there are now two orphans. Nobody cares that car that goes up and over the other car and flips. Nobody ever asked in the next scene. I wonder if it landed onto somebody on the sidewalk that was walking some elderly man. They just went, oh, I got away. Who cares about the, about the chaos, right? So all I want at the end of these big movies is to just give me some reality. So at the end of Ultron, whatever, blowing up New York or whatever, I don't know if he did because I didn't see the movie, but it looked like it in the trailer, that fade to black and then voiceover. And the citizens of New York City will be recovering for the next two years and their hearts will be felt as many have lost their lives. And just give me that everything I just saw wasn't free of charge, right? There had to have been some pain that went with it beyond just the superheroes, right? But the superheroes can go through the pain too, right? So I don't know. It's weird. It's, it's weird to me that they're like, I'm going to shoot my ray gun. If I do it and I hit that thing, then we save the whole world. Who's the other? Well, I don't understand why one of the superheroes going, shit, dude, you, like, don't do it because if you miss, like, like nobody's, right. nobody, they're just going, yeah, just do it by gum, right? Like, I don't, my frustration is why once you put on a superhero costume, whether it's in a comic book or a movie, do you stop acting like an adult and talking like an adult and reacting like an adult? Why is there this n new tier of, of a character when you were your whole life an adult, why, why does that have to stop? I don't know. I don't get it. Anyway, that's why I don't watch Has it. Has your secular humanism always been a tentpole of your creativity, or is it something that you've come yep. across as you've been like... Yeah, why do you think Spawn's black, right? So, and if you look at the first couple issues, some of the first things he did, stopping the guys attacking the lady and taking the guy up against the wall and go, I hear you don't pay your alimony, mm. right? Like, because those are, like, a lot of it's just Todd, right? Just Todd. I'm just like, no, right? I'm just like, no. And then I wanted to show that Billy Kincaid, in issue number five, when he gutted Billy Kincaid, that it was like Billy Kincaid was a pedophile who killed children. Now, I, I've said before, whatever. I get Batman, we're going to geek out. I get Batman. I'm going to get the Joker, put him in jail. He gets out. System can't hold him. He kills. I go get the Joker, put him in jail. System can't hold him. He kills. He kills. He kills. He kills. Ad nauseum. Spawn just goes, no, there's an easier math to this. As a dad of three children, if there was a pedophile who had killed children 20 different times, and he got out 20 different times, and he moved down the street from me, not only would I pay him a visit, I bet I could get a couple other dads to come with me. And if he disappears, I don't know where he went. But I tell you what, my children won't have to worry about him. Right? At some point, if the system doesn't take care of the problem, then somebody else has to, right? So there's there's a lot of that in Spawn. Nobody's helping Spawn right now. Nobody's helping Al Simmons. He's just trying to figure this all out. And for 250 issues, his whole thing was, I don't want to be part of this. I didn't ask for this. I just wanted to come back. But the whole origin was, I wanted to say I love you to my wife before I went off to eternity. That was it. I just want to say I love you. And this is what I get, a shitstorm. I don't want it. I don't want it. And then by issue 200, 250, he just went, finally, he matured and said, I am in this game. I'm never getting out of this game. 
it's time for me to finally accept that people have been telling me I'm in this game. I've been denying it. I'm in this game, so now that I'm in the game, I'm going to study the playbook. And I'm going to read every rule that's in this book. Now I'm going to play this game to the top of my ability. Oh, by the way, here's my game. We're human. You're heaven. You're hell. He doesn't discriminate between heaven and hell. He's like, both of you guys get the hell away. Get off our planet, both of you guys. We're flawed. I'm sure we'll blow ourselves up someday with atom bombs and whatever. But let us, you want you want free will? Get away from us. Let us have our goddamn free will. Let us succeed or fail at our own tempo instead of you guys speeding it up or putting temptation or augmenting it. Let us lead our lives. You guys go do your own thing. And that's that's where he's at right now, just going, okay, now I'm gonna I'm gonna protect the earth from all this bullshit that I think is incriminating humanity right now. So, so when we talk about comic book history as geeks, uh, we often go back and we look at like the Silver Age, Marvel, you know, Stan Jack, Steve Ditko. We talk about, well, they were looking at the world outside our window. We celebrated the fact that, you know, Peter Parker had to... I disagree. Yeah. I know your question. I'm yeah, going to yeah. cut okay, you okay. off. I know your question. <laughs> okay. And okay. I know and I know that Stan, I was with Stan plenty of time, and I know Stan gave that and people have repeated it. I disagree 100% with it, right? Okay, I get it. Peter Parker, he's relatable. He's just like us. He's good. Again, check, 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 check. Give me Bruce Wayne. He's a fucking millionaire. He lives in a mansion. He's, he, he's the CEO of a company. You tell me how a, a 12-year-old relates to a millionaire. Who's that guy? But Batman's popular. Now, why is that? I'll tell you why I think Spider-Man's popular and Batman's popular. Because they're just cool. When they put the costume on, they're just cool. The one guy's black. He's got a big cape. He goes and scares the shit out of people. And the other guy gets to crawl up a wall. He's an eight-year-old. I can relate to both of those. Right. That one guy's got a million bucks and the other guy can't get his homework in is not relevant to me as an eight-year-old. Cool is cool. I want to be the cool guy. And that's a cool power. I want that power. I'm going to go do it. So... I sit quietly when I'm on panels about the whole Peter Parker sermon, and then I toss them the Bruce Wayne. Now explain that one. And they can't, right. except for that's a cool costume. costume. And he drives some pretty cool cars, right? Like, come on, you look like a badass. So check. I, so I check that box on both of them. Yeah. So anyways. Todd, so. thank you so much for this conversation. Sure. It's been really extraordinary. We really enjoyed All it. Right. Thank, thanks for your time. Oh, no, thank All you. Right. Thank you. All right, best of luck to both of you. I love the idea of Todd McFarlane starting a podcast with his wife, but I love even more the idea of Todd McFarlane going like, honey, you are a super sweet and wonderful person. You are so interesting. You should be on a podcast. And she, her going like, no, I'm good. Like, <laughs> I'm satisfied enough with myself that I don't need to express myself to strangers so that they can look at me and tell me I'm okay. What must that be like? <laughs> I can't imagine. The confidence of that ego. I, I'm like, where's the mic? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, like I like how great is that opening exchange with Todd where he's like, comic book couple, that's a great idea. Comic book couples counseling, an even better idea. And then him just leaning into, you know, wanting to have his own podcast, wanting to do more than he's already doing. And you can hear me try to like, okay, I was told to talk about these talking points. Let's get back to it. Let's say like, hey, Todd, how can you do that when you have all this other stuff going on? And then him going like, yeah, no, 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 we're not going to talk about those talking points. We're going to talk about what I want to do, the type of conversations that I want to have with people. Like there were definitely like moments of panic, like... Does he know? Does he know that we are now interviewing him and all of that stuff? But like once I just kind of submitted to it and just accepted like this is what's this is what's happening, I began to like cherish it like in the moment. Yeah, I mean again, there's that so there's the moment where I try to steer it back and then there's the moment you lean in mm -hmm. and you ask him about his secular humanism. Right. And that's when I knew we had something unique with Todd McFarlane here. He expresses some ideas that I've certainly flirted with in the past, but have kind of veered away from. And I guess I haven't heard him say these things before in other interviews, but it was kind of also a revelation to hear how those ideas informed Spawn back in the 90s. 
But in this conversation, he makes it sound like he had it all figured out by the time he was writing Spawn. He's right. like, I'm a secular humanist and I have a perspective. And like, I would love to have dug more into like, well, what are the ways that your perspective has changed? Yeah, when did his secular humanism kick uh, in? Because he in. seems yeah. to be like, he seems to be harboring some resentment towards perhaps a religious upbringing. I don't even know. Yeah, we don't know. And that's where I really would have liked to have had Todd McFarlane trapped in a Zoom room and had an hour to talk to him, but we only had 15 or so minutes. And you really want to give him the space the to say what he is going to say. And <laughs> like when I started to bring up the conversation about how we reflect on Marvel comics and then he interrupts me and he says, I know what you're going to ask. That actually wasn't what I was going to ask. What I was trying to get to was this idea how today we celebrate and we have reverence for this idea of the world outside your window and how Stanley and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, they explored the, the, the superhero that Todd McFarlane was kind of talking about, like the superhero who has been changed or not changed by wearing spandex. Mm -hmm. But in reality today, even though we kind of re revere that stuff, we don't practice it. That's where I really wanted to go. Oh yeah, and 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 we we couldn't go there. We couldn't go there. We had the little like wrap up. You gotta get, you gotta move along. It's time for the next person. But I, it was interesting for him to talk about the state of comic books and the state of comic book movies today. Mm -hmm. Sounds like he's not he's not as engaged with the medium. Yeah, it seems like he's pulled back a little bit, uh, and and you know I think understandably so. Him speaking in generalities, I mean they're generalities for a reason. Mm -hmm. At the same time, like I really wish when he had brought up Superman's music taste, we could I, I should have said like, well, you should check out Joshua Williamson's current Superman run exactly. where he is absolutely Literally talking about talking about Clark Kent's musical taste, right? Yeah. Thanks to Pete Ross. And there are moments when he is discussing the fallout of the, like the chaos on consequences, right? That is something that we have talked about in movies where people will just open up and gunfire in neighborhoods. And you really do wonder where do all those bullets go? But then when he's talking specifically about Avengers age of Ultron, there are actually consequences like, that are explored in Captain America civil war. Literally. Yeah. There are some things that he said that I on, on their face, I totally agree with this idea of like, if you have a lot of power, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are a good person or that, if you get power that you didn't have before, you're going to necessarily use it for the common good. And we don't often think about the people in these comic book brawl scenes that are happening outside of the panels and that we really should be thinking about these neighborhoods and these cities. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just realizing, hey, there are human beings and human suffering all of the way down. And just because you have the most power doesn't mean that you have the biggest priority. And I also relate to what he was saying about Spawn and how Spawn is kind of stuck, feels kind of stuck between heaven and hell. And he just wishes that the supernatural would allow him to succeed or fail at his own tempo. This idea of like, the universe intervening is just kind of like getting in the way of me accomplishing what I need to accomplish. And there was a time in my life where I found that idea like super compelling where I go, okay, I just need to feel like the master of my own destiny. It reminds me of the ending of The Grey, the Joe Carnahan film, where Liam Neeson goes up against the wolves. He's like, okay, if you're not going to help me, referring to God above, I'm going to do it myself. Mm -hmm. And I like I was all about that at the time. And I've heard the argument like I just believe in one less god than you do. And I think that that is kind of an an interesting it's and compelling. excellent point, you know? But I've since found myself on the other side of that argument all of a sudden like I popped out on the other side and I was like, "Oh, you just believe in one more god than me?" Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm mhm. And I just got tired of like waiting for people to relate to me. And I just found myself kind of 
relating to other people. Like I just. Yeah, like, and that's what we've been doing over the course of the last five years at Comic Book Couples Counseling. It's been about, you know, embracing empathy and going like, okay, you don't believe what I believe or I don't believe what you believe, but why do you believe what you believe? And is that actually an offense to me? But also I've just come down on the side of I'm probably not right. And I'm ultimately going to change my mind. Like to me. Growth mindset. Yeah, the growth mindset. And also like, I think that two people can be on either side of a conversation. If you were to listen to the content of the conversation in a literal way, it might look like they're disagreeing with each other. But ultimately, all everyone is saying at the end of the day is, I want to be seen, heard, and loved. I want to matter. I want my existence in the universe to be, to matter. And the degree or or, or not you believe that the intercession of the universe is just has to do with how much control you feel like you need at the time. Yeah. Like when I was going like, oh, maybe I'm anti-religious. It was a, a time where I really felt like my life was out of control. I, I felt like the universe wasn't loving me and therefore I stopped believing in the universe. Mm. But now I'm in this completely different place and I am feeling the love of the universe and I do feel like, oh, you know, like I'm a person of consequence, like not in like a like a like a famous way or like a like a career way, but in like a like a, a human I'm, way, like I'm bathing in a sea of love, like like that that mu- that humanity by existing is creating meaning. Mm. And then like the idea of God is just like a spectrum, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it's just like, when does the idea or the metaphor of God end? And the literalness of God's existence begin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like, to me, that's what it is right now. Like, so I've referred to it as like a Schrodinger's faith, where it's just like, I see the box in the box. God could be alive or dead, but I have no way of opening the box but I will also never get tired of the conversation. Or trying to open the box. Or try, not trying to open the box, but just like, because I don't think that I, like until you're dead, you're just not going to know. Considering the box? Um, I don't know. Like, it's like, um, it's like not, it's like not Christmas yet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get you. I you get know? you. I think ultimately what we're saying is we wish we were guests on Todd McFarlane's podcast so that we could have this conversation that we briefly had with Todd McFarlane for a lot longer or a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah. And it's not fair really to even have the conversation that we're having right now without Todd McFarlane, but he left us no choice. Uh, yeah, I would love it. Like, uh, I, I just love the idea of like, me going to Todd, like certainty doesn't exist. And he goes, your words, not mine. (laughs) (laughs) I I would really like, and I think there is a chance of this happening at some point in the future to revisit these ideas with Todd McFarlane to talk about what makes Todd the creator that Todd is. And for him also to reflect on our response to it. And that's what we really didn't get a chance to do here in this brief moment within the Image Comics booth at San Diego Comic-Con. We didn't get to respond or really reflect on what he was saying, which is why we're doing it now on the other (laughs) coast, alone and away from him, which again is really not fair, but that's that's what we got. But also we were approaching him as like comics journalists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've got stuff you want to promote. We want to talk about the stuff you want to promote. And oh, now we're having this conversation and how rad is that? Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was a it was a whirlwind. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm and again, I'm just so thankful to have had that conversation. And I really hope that you listening have enjoyed the conversation that we had with Todd and the conversation that we had outside of Todd. And we want to hear back from you. So please email us at cbccpodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us, hive us, thread us, blue sky us at CBCC podcast. And also if you enjoyed hearing Todd McFarlane on comic book couples counseling podcast, tweet at him, let him know, Oh, we enjoyed what you had to say. We enjoyed the conversation that you had. 
on the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast, and maybe he'll want to come back. That would be really nice. Asking for a third Todd McFarland appearance on Comic Book Couples <laughs> Counseling seems like asking for a lot. It's incredible that he's been on the show twice already. Little Brad cannot believe it. Um, but Little Brad would also not believe everything else that we've got still coming down the pike from our experience at San Diego Comic-Con International. Our next episode will be in conversation with Nicole Maines, talking about her character Dreamer and the new original graphic novel that she is writing. And then we are going to close out our San Diego Comic-Con conversations with Robert Kirkman, Joshua Williamson, and Daniel Warren Johnson talking about the Energon universe, Transformers and G.I. Joe content. And I have a feeling that is just the beginning of a lot of comic book couples counseling content regarding the Energon universe. Lisa and I are so excited about it. Also, our cinematic adventures are continuing at the Alamo Draft House Winchester. We have a screening of The Mask, which will be co-hosted by Trad Moore. What? Rad artist, who will also be signing at Four Color Fantasies the day before. And there's a raffle for original Tradmore art, three yeah. pieces. You're going to want to be in that round. And tickets for our mass screening with Tradmore are only $4. Unless you're a patron, and then for you it's free as long as you reach out to Brad and Lisa. And then what's our screening after that, Lisa? It's the whole Dark Knight trilogy, September 17th, starting at noon, Tickets, you have to buy all three tickets separately, but you're gonna you're gonna wanna come for all three. Seven dollars each, twenty-one dollars total, unless you are a patron, then it's free. Just reach out to Brad and Lisa. We're currently working out the screening rights for our October screening, and we're looking for suggestions for our November comic book movie, but we have a pretty good idea about what our December comic book movie is going to be, but we're not telling anyone just yet. Being a patron, by the way, doesn't just get you tickets in one small town <laughs> in Southern Virginia for $4. There is a ton of content on our Patreon, including 74-ish episodes, issue by issue, sleepwalking through Sandman, where Lisa and Brad have no idea what we're talking about. We're full sweatpants mode over there. We've been doing our Sandman episodes for two and a half years at this point. And this upcoming Sunday is going to be our conversation regarding the last issue of the original Neil Gaiman run, issue 75. I cannot believe we finally made it to this point. Of course, there are Sandman comics after 75. We figured out how to make the Sandman never end. <laughs> we certainly have like 13 more weeks of Sandman conversations after issue 75. I think that's how the math shakes out, uh, thanks to our patron Alexander for doing that work. But we also have our Comically Real series where we discuss movies, new releases, and classics. We have our Married to Singles episodes where we talk to comic book creators like Daniel Warren Johnson about their favorite single issues. He chose the nom number nine from 1987. Do not miss that conversation, friends. Just one dollar will grant you access to the CBCC Patreon. Best value in all of Patreon, right? I think, I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. And if you don't already have enough Gullickson in your life, we're on this week's episode of The Amazing Spider Talk, talking about the dating years of Peter Parker and Mary Jane. And I just love this conversation. Dan and Mark really gave a space to be ourselves, and it felt great. Honestly, I'm a little sad that this conversation isn't in the Comic Book Couples Counseling main feed. <laughs> it is a perfect sequel conversation to the one that we had about Peter and Mary Jane that we concluded with the Matt Fraction uh, Sensational Spider-Man issue. Uh, yeah, I, I love this chat. So please go to the links in the show notes and head on over to the amazing spider talk. And also for the episode, Nick Cagnetti did the banner oh art and it's amazing. I want it hanging on our walls and it probably will. Okay, Brad, I would really love to recreate the feeling of being 
in the Image Comics booth. So if you hear the tub running for like a really <laughs> long time, that's what I'm doing. Okay. Where can our listeners send the words of affirmation to you? You can find me on most social medias at Mouthdork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show posters, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, which we've talked about at length, <laughs> where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. Weekly bonus episodes, you what? say. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, where we did just drop two new reviews, one on Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips's Where the Body Was, which is a advanced review that book doesn't come out until january december something like that or you can follow us on instagram twitter i refuse to call it by that ridiculous rebrand threads blue sky hive you heard about all that stuff at cbcc podcast i'm also on blue sky i forgot to mention oh yeah it. yeah you are you can give us the gift of five stars on apple podcasts and if you'd like to do an active service why not write a review of the show while you're there? Yes, please. We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy. Bum, bum, ba, da, bum, bum, ba, da, ba. All right, this is comic book couple. Couple book couple? Yeah, that, comic that's cool. Counseling. That's counseling. Comic book couples counseling. It's amazing. How great is that? Comic book couples great. Comic book couple counseling is even better. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs>